We've done the first portion of chapter 4, and now we're on to uh, verses 12 through 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. So this morning, uh, the title for the message is, A Light Has Dawned. A Light Has Dawned. <clears throat> the definition of, of dawn... Now, I, I know that uh, we refer to the first part of the morning. Uh, the, the, the later in the afternoon is twilight. That's when the sun goes down, and you just see the, the evidence of the sun over the horizon and in the atmosphere around us. But dawn is quite the other, um, the, the other extreme or the other opposite, the polar opposite of twilight, and that is that we see the beginning of the effects of a rising sun. Uh, to begin to grow as the light or the sun rises, uh, to begin to appear or develop, to begin to perceive or understand, is more of what we're going to see this morning. And what the Lord does here is this is the beginning of His ministry. He not only reveals who He is right from the beginning, uh, but He also uh, calls out His disciples and he begins to demonstrate exactly that, uh, that he desires for you and I to exemplify in our own lives. And that is the, a work of the ministry, to do the work of an evangelist. And this is something that happens in the life of a person who has completely, totally surrendered their lives to the Lord. By the way, in that place to where you sur surrender your life to the Lord... It's not out of duty. It's not something that we can check off as, as, a, as something that we do for the Lord, but we do because of what the Lord has done in our lives. It is um, a response to the love that He's demonstrated to us. And so a light has dawned um, in the sense to where Jesus is now dawning upon the lives of the, of the people of the world I pray this morning that more so that he is being perceived, he is being understood, he's being revealed more and more in our own lives, personally, as we grow in him. Let's start out by reading in 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. So if you want to hold your place there and then come with me to the back of the Bible just before Revelation... And that is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Father, I pray that Your love would be perfected in us. Lord, that as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, 
specifically these verses that we're going to cover this morning. As you introduce yourself to the world in that time, this day, 2,000 years ago, that Lord, this morning, today, in this moment, Lord, that you would help us remember not only who you are in the world and how it is that you desired that none should perish, that all should come to repentance, but also in our own lives, that we would come to understand that you are doing a work in our lives to grow us, to build us up, to purify us, to strengthen us, all to be maturely walking in your presence with a certain hope of one day being in all of your glory. We want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is this perfect hope that has arrived on the scene on earth. The long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. A light has truly dawned on a dark world, and people are now beholding the great light upon which the sins of the world will be cast and salvation be made possible through the Lamb of God, who, as John the Baptist said, takes away the sin of the world. He is now on the scene. He is revealing himself. That's hope, and he's here. Jesus' purpose for coming is that all may come to know. As we read in 1 John, that all may come to know, all may come to believe, and all may come to also abide. That by doing so, as he writes, we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And I ask you this morning, do you have confidence for that day? For the day of judgment. Do you have that peace which surpasses all understanding? As you place your complete trust in Jesus Christ. Because that is the whole purpose for God. Revealing himself in the flesh. Is for you and I to have that certain hope. For that day of judgment. That is that we may not fear judgment. Because we have been forgiven in Christ. And we come to know a perfect. A whole love a beautiful relationship with the Father through the Son. Therefore, a light has dawned. Jesus is beginning His ministry and setting the stage for what's to come in the few years that will lead to His crucifixion. Now, keep in mind what just took place. What we just went over last Sunday was Jesus out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil personally in how it was that he responded to those attacks, those tempting moments in that testing as the Father had led the Son by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it was an example for you and I, right? How was that we are to respond to those temptations that come our way in life? So after that, a few things take, take place. And now, now we're at the place to where Jesus is going to leave home, that is Nazareth, go into the region of Galilee, specifically Capernaum. He's going to call some disciples formally. And then he's going to demonstrate a preaching, a teaching, and a healing. And many are going to be brought to him. So this is the dawn of the beautiful light upon we should behold the glory of the Father. 
all through him and in him. For, so number one, we're going to see Jesus leaves home. Number two, Jesus calls his disciples. And thirdly, Jesus preaches, teaches, and heals. Let's first go over how it is that he leaves home. Verse 12, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region. In shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach. Saying repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, Jesus had, just kind of a recap, Jesus had been baptized by John in the Jordan. It was quickly led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And now we read how he left home and went into Capernaum. But there was more that took place between the wilderness even and what Matthew records here in his gospel that is covered elsewhere. Specifically, John chapter 1 verses 19 through uh, or verse 12 of chapter 2. Turn with me to John chapter 1. And I want to go over this with you. Just so we have an understanding of what, what's taken place in between. Sometimes we can read a portion of scripture and wonder how it is that these disciples just up and walked with the Lord. Well, they were first introduced to him. And we're going to see this here. So John chapter 1 verse 35. Let's see what it says here. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, that is, John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, uh, these two disciples were going to learn, one is Andrew and the other one is the beloved John. So the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? It's a great question for you and I, that we would know what we're seeking with Jesus, that we would know for certain why it is that we believe, why we believe what we believe. So Jesus turns around, sees them following him and asks, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour that's four o'clock in the afternoon one of the two who heard john speak and followed jesus was andrew simon peter's brother he first found his own brother simon and said to him we have found the messiah which means christ he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon the son of john you shall be called cephas which means peter The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently, that wasn't a very popular place. You can think of your own Nazareth. Can anything come out of, and you fill in the blank, right? So, 
That's what Nathanael was saying. And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So far, do we have a clear understanding? God is revealing himself, right? That is Jesus, the Son of God, the second in the Trinity. It's very clear, right? Well, on the third day, that's the third day after his baptism. We see the next day is the first day, uh, which is found in verse 35 of chapter 1. Then we have day 2, which is, uh, starts on in verse 43. And now the third day, chapter 2, verse 1. There was a wedding at Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Those were, by the way, the last recorded words of Mary. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water and now uh, become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days. So, um, we see what happened in between. We see a few things that took place. This is the first of many signs, which we're going to cover in verses 23 through 25. You see, Jesus was revealing who he was to people at this point. There was no cover. There was no ambiguity. Andrew told his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah. Philip told Nathaniel, we have found him of whom, Je- uh, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In fact, this was not the first time that Jesus goes to Capernaum. After his time in the wilderness, Jesus went by Capernaum on his way back to Nazareth, his hometown. That is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Which says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit... To Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. So, this is what was going on in his hometown. He was going to the synagogue, and he did so on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. And this is all he read. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I have a feeling that you could hear a pin drop in there. This is in Nazareth. This is his hometown. Is this not Joseph's son, the the carpenter? The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They were accusing him of blasphemy in his hometown. They were clear in their understanding of who Jesus was proclaiming to be. Who he said he was. And so again, I I wanted to take you through these verses so that you would understand that at this point, all understood who he was saying he was. He was saying that he was the Son of God. That he was the Messiah, the Christ. He denied nothing of that which was told of him and he of himself. He was rejected in his hometown and now hears of the imprisonment of John the Baptist and leaves for Capernaum. This was a region within, uh, the region is Galilee and specifically Capernaum, but Galilee was a very progressive, a highly populated area. There were, it was said to, that there were about 3 million people living in the small area that was a little bigger than Rhode Island. So it was not a big section of land that we have over 3 million people living in. Of course, it was a great opportunity, a great place to start and continue to have an impact on the world. This place was known for its farming, for it had fertile soil, it produced great crops, and so it attracted a lot of people to this one little region. Matthew had a house there, and so did Peter. In fact, it was there that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And that's covered in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. What Matthew is emphasizing is the fact that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. 
This was the important main theme, the main point that Matthew is driving us to. Of course, Jesus is going to continue to preach, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But here's what Matthew is emphasizing is this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This very thing that we see here, how it is that he went from Nazareth to Capernaum is found in Scripture. Matthew has pointed out up to this point five times, six with this one, that what is happening in the life of Jesus are a succession of fulfillments of what God had said through the prophets. Prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes. Pay attention, he was saying. Pay attention. So it is said. So the prophet said. It would, be, it would do well for us to pay attention. For us to understand how the Lord has perfectly fulfilled his prophecies up to this point. Right now, the only thing that's left before the coming of the Lord is nothing. Is nothing. All has been fulfilled. Now we await his return. May our eyes be fixed on the heavens, on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. But he said this five times, six with this one, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, and then chapter 3, verse 3, and now here in chapter 4, Verses 14 and 15. Six times now. Was not the whole world in darkness without Christ? The answer is of course, right? Is not the whole world in darkness today without Christ? The answer is yes, of course. Did Jesus not come to seek and save the lost, those who are in darkness? The answer is, of course, yes. So all are in darkness who do not have the sun. The light of the world has dawned and is preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the very thing that he continued to cry out. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Sometimes we complicate the gospel. It's actually very simple. I praise God that it's simple. That it's not complicated. I tell you, the moment that I came to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, I, I was so relieved that it wasn't... I didn't have to do this in order to earn God's mercy and His grace. Because to be quite honest with you, I didn't want to do those things. But I was in the flesh. But the moment that I understood that the work was all done on the cross, when Jesus said, to Telestai, it is finished, it's paid in full, that the work was done That salvation is a free gift from God by grace through faith in the Son of God. That we would, you know what it takes is a simple surrender 
And this is what Jesus was speaking of. He, he was pointing to the fact to where it is, you need to repent, you need to turn, you need to leave what you have been considering to be home, to be comfortable. That is required. I thought of this as I was thinking, well, Jesus left the comfort of his home. You know, he, he left Nazareth. Say, mom, his brothers, although they didn't believe at that point, that he was the Messiah. But it's comfortable. It's that safety zone. Whatever it is that I was into before I came to Christ was, in a way, what I grew up with and I was comfortable in. But the moment I realized who was before me and who was calling out to me, was I willing at that point to truly heed the Lord's call? And repent. That is simply to turn. To do. It's not a 360. It's a 180. It's a 180. It's, it's going from here to here. And not returning there. <laughs> you see, Jesus was a herald of the message the Father sent him to proclaim and fulfill. He was the messenger, but he was also the message. His proclamation began with repent or turn from running from God and to him. Do an about face. Just see what happens. If upon hearing and, and, and just being inclined, just, oh man, could it be? Turn. Simply turn. You will find that the Lord is there waiting for you. Leave home, that takes courage through belief. And it certainly does take courage. There are a lot of people who are still doing 360s. It takes courage to repent and turn and continue on that path of denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. It takes a lot of courage. But there is one who sticks closer than a friend. There's one who loves you with an everlasting love. And he will be with you every step of the way. And He is your very goal. He is the one to whom you will come face to face one day in all of His glory. And He will embrace you and welcome you into His presence. That is our Lord. He is our strength. He is our joy. And then Jesus calls His disciples. Verse 18 while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus is now in Capernaum. And Capernaum is a, is a city on the north side of the region of Galilee and the north, north side of um, the, the, the actual sea. And his fishing is very good there. He's walking a, along the shoreline. And in that walk, for the Lord, there's always a purpose. And he's on the move. And he calls these four men. 
Now, of course, that this is why I read the, the verses in, in other sections of Scripture so that I would give you an understanding uh, that this was not the first time that Jesus had met these men. But now, he's calling them. He's calling them to drop everything they're doing and follow him with a full-time commitment. Full-time commitment. These men were not what we would even today consider to be prime candidates for turning the world upside down for Jesus. But this is who he chose. They were blue-collar workers, unlearned. In fact, this is how they were um, considered to be. This is, uh, you know, if you were to describe to me these men, this is how they'd be described. Unlearned, unrefined. Um, it's called this the, the ring that's left in the, in the tub. This is, this is how they were described. <laughs> the, the, what is it? The scour, the scum of the earth. It's like, wow. <laughs> Such great compliments, you know? And yet Jesus called them to drop everything to follow him. And he did indeed turn the world not upside down, but right side up. And, and I thought about this. I thought, well, have we ever had an excuse for not serving the Lord? You know? And the answer, of course, for all of us, I'm sure. I mean, you'd be an exception if you didn't have any excuse whatsoever for not serving the Lord. Okay? All of us are in that place. To justify why it is that you, you aren't serving the Lord. You know, to say that, well, we're, we're just not worthy of serving the Lord. We're not ready I mean, the, the list couldn't go on and on, right? But remember, <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. This is always humbling. This is always something that brings me back to earth, you know, in, in case my feet want to lift off the ground just a little bit. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. <laughs> God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Amen. Um, sometimes I'm rem- reminded of the fact that God even used a donkey to speak. Right? It's when Jesus gets all the glory in our service to him that we are in the best place. May we never, ever, ever touch his glory. And please note that Jesus called these men just as he called for the rich young ruler to leave what he loved behind. His money, his possessions. And follow him. Only these men were willingly, uh, or these men willingly dropped everything and followed him. 
But the rich young ruler left sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and at the same time he had nothing of eternal value. He wasn't willing to leave it, not for the sake of Christ. If you're jotting down some notes, jot down Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. That's a story of the rich young ruler. And, and I was, I believe that the Lord reminded me of this story because we see how it is that this rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he, by all outward appearances, he was doing everything right. Do we not have religious people out there who by all outward appearances are living life right? And yet Jesus himself was telling this rich young ruler, that's not good enough. That's not good enough? Oh, come on, I've kept the law since my youth. No, that's, that's not good enough. Or are you willing to lose your life and gain it in me? Are you willing to surrender everything for my sake? These men, these scum of the earth, the blue-collar workers, they were willing to do just that. The rich young ruler who was well thought of in the community and looked up to even, he wasn't willing. By all worldly appearances, he was a man of success. But in the eyes of the Lord, he lacked one thing, and that was faith in Jesus Christ. Now also, please note that these men were busy working. These men that Jesus called. He was walking by, and he saw Peter and Andrew. He saw James and John, and they were working. Some were fishing, the others were mending their nets. It's not like they were now retired and can do something for Jesus or didn't have anything better to do because they were unemployed and therefore served Jesus until they got some jobs and things picked up for them. It just, it it sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's not who Jesus was calling here. He calls all men unto himself. But sometimes we run into that. You know, and you hear that. Hey, listen. When I... In other words, when when things are better for me personally, then I'll pick up and and follow the Lord. I'll I'll serve him. I'll I'll truly just walk with him. It's like, no. drop Drop your nets. Drop everything right now because you will gain eternal life in Jesus Christ and by the way it's not that you'll lose everything but that you'll gain everything in Christ the point is is are you first and foremost fully committed to him devoted to him surrendered to him and then at that point he will do a work through you in whatever place you are but that has to come first. It's, are you willing to leave everything behind? They were learning that following Jesus is a full-time commitment, not seasonal and not temporary. It involves every aspect of life because it is life. It's, it's not just compartmentalized, not for Sunday mornings, not for Wednesday nights even, not for that devotional time in the morning when I'm sitting down with Him, but it is life. He is my life. Every day. 
No, it's, it seems that according to the examples we have in Scripture, that God calls those who are not idle, but productive and industrious. Moses was taking care of his father-in-law's flock. David was tending to his father's sheep. Amos was farming. Gideon was threshing wheat. The shepherds in the field were guarding the flocks. Andrew and Peter was fishing. were fishing. James and John were doing some repair work. Matthew was working as a tax collector. And we can go on and on and on and on. These four men that we have before us are men that had already been introduced to Jesus. These men who were fishermen by profession were being called by Jesus to be fishers of men. By the way, the concept of rabbi and disciple was a common thing in that day. It wasn't like a cult thing. It wasn't something that was odd, like, wow, you know, those guys are, they've, they've lost it. No, today it would be likened to relationship, relationship between a mentor and that person who is being mentored. Now we can take a look at it like that. Although, the relationship between a rabbi and a disciple was very intimate. The disciple would follow closely, continuously, after the rabbi, learning even his mannerisms, the way, the style of teaching... Often it was, if you, at some point, if you listen to the disciple speaking and teaching, you, you would know who that person's rabbi was. That's how close that relationship was at that time. They would follow closely and constantly learn from him. What was unique about this situation was that normally it was the disciple's choice and not by a summons by the rabbi. The Lord summons all to follow him. Think about this. John 3.16. We all know that one, right? And then we have 2 Peter 3.9. For God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How did Jesus respond to others that either said they would follow Jesus or gave excuses as to why they wouldn't at that time? Well, we can see it in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22 which says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now this is, a scribe was considered to be a teacher of the people. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you will gain nothing by following me. No riches, no fame, no glory. I have nowhere to lay my head. You will have no place to lay your head either. And then he goes on, verse 21, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and, I, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. It is not to say that he speaks less or thinks that is unimportant. What, he, what he's getting across is the very same thing that he was getting across to the rich young ruler and he called these four men to follow him. Are you willing to leave everything for me? In other words, stop. Stop with the excuses. Stop with the trying to justify all of that. Are you willing to leave everything for me? And the answer should be, yes. Who else has the words of eternal life? No one. Only you do. Why did Jesus respond in this ma manner? Because he knows the heart of man. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And he makes no concessions for any gray area in the middle. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. There's, there's, there's no middle road. There's no towing the line. 
You're on one side or the other. One side is forgiven. The other side is condemned. And I plead with you to just hear the words that are coming from Scripture. Please understand, this is, this is the whole reason we're here. Not just to learn about God, but to know who He is intimately and personally. To have that relationship with Him. This is the very thing that Jesus came to this earth to do. To die on the cross for you in your place. To give you the ability to respond to God's invitation to a relationship through the Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. He knows the heart of man. He knows that even though some are very knowledgeable about the Word of God, and there are some who say they will follow when everything is, is in order, are actually far from genuinely following Jesus as Lord with everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's what he knew. What happens when you realize that life with Christ is difficult? Or that there is something else in life to do before you really know or come to follow more accurately Jesus? No, Jesus calls each and every one of us today. He calls you today. How you answer is of utmost importance to your eternal life. What you leave behind is of no comparison to what you have before you in Christ. Eternal life, forgiven, the sure hope of heaven. It's incomparable. There's nothing. You'll see the riches in all of God's glory. One day. And you'll think, wow, and I made so much. I made so much of so little at times in my life. So Jesus leaves home. Jesus calls his disciples. And thirdly, Jesus preaches, teaches, and heals. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So the specifics as far as everything that he delivered people from, is not something that I'm going to focus on this morning. Because I can tell you that this is, this is an overall description of what Jesus was doing, but it was for a greater purpose. He was doing this for a specific purpose, a specific reason. What we see here is that Jesus had the ability to heal all types of diseases, and he had power over demons, over all creation. But... Was Jesus' primary purpose for performing such dramatic miracles to attract these massive crowds to impress them? I want you to be in awe of who I am. No. It was to demonstrate that he was the Son of God. That was it. And they would be exposed to the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. They would come to know salvation. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
how no human being should be able to boast in the presence of God. No one should take from God's glory. I say this because sometimes a man's healing ministry takes center stage and only uses God's name as a means to his own end of receiving glory and lots of money. That's a shame. As I continue to walk with the Lord and spend time with them, and I, and I, I, I hope and pray I understand him that much more. I see how it is that no, no man, it, it's true, Scripture says no man should, should take the glory of God. No man should boast in his name, but in his name. That's it. I don't want my name plastered on that sign out front. It's just, hey, this is refuge. This is a place where the name of God is proclaimed, where salvation is preached where hopefully we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. The Lord never emphasized anything but the Great Commission. Make disciples. Teach. That's what he emphasized. The Great Commission? That's it. What was Jesus doing? He went throughout the region preaching and teaching and demonstrating his power and authority through his healing. Preaching is the uncompromised proclamation of certainties. You know, certain things that we go through, even the um, quoting of verses here, it's, it's a proclamation, it's a preaching. That's what Jesus did. In fact, when he got up in front of the synagogue, or in the synagogue in front of people, he was preaching. I'm making a proclamation of a certainty. And it's being fulfilled before you today. Teaching is the explanation of the meaning and significance of the certainties. So that's what teaching is. I want to explain to you. That's why I went through different verses, different areas of of the Bible, in order for you to understand, to get a good understanding of, of how it is that we got to this point and what it is that the Lord is doing at this point. Going from Nazareth to Capernaum. What he's doing and healing people even as he preaches and teaches. The light has truly dawned. Quite literally then. The light is Jesus Christ and still today even more than ever before Jesus is crying out to each one of us to repent. To believe. To follow. And to serve. It's the same message. It hasn't changed. It's just as relevant today as it was back then. It's just as personal today as it was back then when they heard the physical voice of Jesus speaking. Today, we hear the divine voice of God through his word, through the Bible itself. And the response is just as critical today as it was then How are we to respond to what we know, what we come to know? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? As you are called to repent, are you willing to repent? Or will you leave sorrowful because you have much, or you believe that you have much in this life? 
Are you willing to simply turn and face Him? And in believing and hearing His call, would be willing to follow and serve Him. The light has dawned, and those dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And the question is, have you seen that great light? Have you come to understand it? Because no matter where you are, even if you have surrendered your life to Christ and are growing in Him, or have never surrendered your life to Christ, it's still the same response to the dawning of the light. Jesus Christ being revealed. Every time, it's like, oh man, I, it's so wonderful as I get into Scripture, as I read through, and it's like, ah, oh, I felt like I was so close to you, and, and yet I feel like I know you just that much more, Lord. It's like that, that light is still continuing to dawn in my life. Either way, the re- response is, are you willing to repent? Because as Christians, we li- live lives of repentance. And being humble before the king, king and, and, and simply surrendering to him, if there's anything that is not of him, we are to repent, turn of it, and, and face him. If we're still walking in our sin, we are to repent, believe, that, he is, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. The payment for our sin was paid for completely on the cross, on Calvary, a little over 2,000 years ago. And the question is, do you believe that? You see, he desires to heal you. And I'm speaking of a greater healing than any kind of physical ailment that we could have. I'm talking about a spiritual healing. Completely being forgiven of our sins and having the certain hope of heaven. That's the healing that he desires to give each and every one of us. Are you there? And if you are, is there anything that is not of him in your life that you need to turn from? And I can tell you in my own inspection of my life, how does that, you know, I ask the Lord to reveal anything that is not of him. I mean, we, we can spend the rest of the day, really, me personally, testifying of the, the things that, yeah, you know what, these, these things are not of, of you. I need to turn from them. Be a lifelong process. That's why it requires humility for a Christian to walk with the Lord, daily submitting to him that which is not of him, casting all our burdens upon him, and asking him for forgiveness. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's salvation to no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you cry out to him and call on him as Lord, then he will forgive you of your sin. He will cast your sin away from you as far as the east is from the west. You will have that burden of sin on your shoulders no more. And you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to him. For the day of judgment, you will fear no more. So I pray that if you're here, and we're we're closing, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no other way to come to know a relationship with God, with the Father, but through Jesus Christ. 
pray that this morning you would simply repent, turn to him, and ask him to forgive you. And he will be there to forgive you and to welcome you into a relationship with him, now and for eternity. If you're here this morning also, and perhaps, you know, just the thoughts came up, yeah, there are things in my life that I need to repent of. And you wish this morning to repent of that. Just you confessing before the Lord. These things are not of you. And I wish to give them to you. And ask for your forgiveness. Then I ask that you would not waste another moment. That this morning you would come to him with those confessions. And ask him for forgiveness this morning. May you walk out of here with none of those burdens on you. Okay? So if you'd like to, let's stand up and I'm going to pray for all of us. Is that okay? If you're in agreement. Oh, Father, we are eternally indebted to you for loving us and demonstrating your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that we can cry out to you as we surrender our lives to you. Abba, Father. Oh, that dear and intimate cry to a close Father. And know that you incline your ear to us. You're interested in every detail of our lives. And you wish above all your heart's desire would be fulfilled in us in that we would find salvation in you. We would know a peace in you that is known through and by no other. Lord, we do ask for your forgiveness for whatever it is that you have revealed in our own lives that are an offense to you, that are contrary to you. And ask, Lord, that you would help us, strengthen us, give us understanding that we may be living lives that please you, separated from the world and unto you. And I do pray for anyone here, Lord, that does not know you. I ask, Father, that, that they would understand that there is salvation in no one else. That Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me that as they believe that, that they would come to a saving relationship with you through Jesus Christ and they are saved by grace through faith in Him this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you made it abundantly clear who Jesus was as He stepped foot on this earth a little over 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you sent the Savior for each and every one of us. We praise you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.